You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports on this Monday, August the 30th. In the house with your boy Trey Larkins on the Wise Guys Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. You in the house with your boy Trey Larkins. How was everyone's weekend? I had an outstanding weekend watching some preseason football in the NFL. Yeah, I saw yesterday that meltdown that took place at Paul Brown Stadium yesterday. A lot of you Bengal fans, y'all thought y'all had to win over the Miami Dolphins yesterday in Miami. Scored a 15 in the fourth quarter. Bengals in typical regular season form in the preseason already. But I had a great weekend overall watching some football. I'm excited for college football next week. And then y'all know week one kicks off the second weekend in September. But everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Also follow the Worldwide Sports Network on all social media platforms. So I got an action jam-packed show. We're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers and my expectations for the Steelers this upcoming NFL season. Give me your thoughts. Will the Pittsburgh Steelers make the playoffs? That's my one of the things I'm going to be talking about. Also, later on the show, I'm going to talk about Carmelo Anthony. You know, he was on the All the Smoke podcast with my man Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson a few weeks ago, and he talked about how his career would have went differently had he been drafted by the Detroit Pistons. And also later on the show, I'm going to give you all my predictions for the AFC West and who I believe is going to win that division. But let's start off in the NFL with the Miami Dolphins as Brian Flores, head coach of the Miami Dolphins. He was talking to reporters earlier today, and he was talking about the possibility of bringing in Deshaun Watson. And this is Brian Flores. He said, quote, reports, speculation are not things we really get into. I'm interested in the players that are on our team, quote. And so y'all know last year, the Miami Dolphins, they missed the playoffs. They had a shot on the final weekend of the regular season to win and get in the playoffs. They got blew out in Buffalo and they missed the postseason last year. So everyone's talking about, you know, should the Miami Dolphins trade for Deshaun Watson? And this is very simple for me when I look at this entire situation right now with the Miami Dolphins. This is two. General Manager Chris Greer of the Miami Dolphins, head coach Brian Flores, and Stephen Ross, I believe his name is. That's the owner for the Miami Dolphins. So, dear Miami Dolphins organization, if you can trade for Deshaun Watson, you make that trade quick, fast, and in a hurry. Whatever the Houston Texans want in return for the services of Deshaun Watson, you give the Houston Texans whatever the hell they want. Deshaun Watson is a transcendent talent at the quarterback position. He's won at every level of football that he's played in. 
when he was at the collegiate level. He played under Dabo Sweeney, head coach of the Clemson Tigers. Dabo Sweeney said that Deshaun Watson plays like he's Michael Jordan. These were Dabo Sweeney's comments on Deshaun Watson. And y'all remember Deshaun Watson, while he was at the University of Clemson, he led the Clemson Tigers to back-to-back national championship games going up against Nick Saban. First year, they lost 45-40. to 40. It was a close game. Deshaun Watson did everything he possibly could to pull it out for the Clemson Tigers. They weren't able to get it done in 2016. They returned back in 2017, and they beat Nick Saban in Alabama. I believe the score was 35-31, to 31, and Deshaun Watson was absolutely sensational in that game. But just to give you some of his college statistics in the regular season, his sophomore year, this is Deshaun Watson's sophomore year at Clemson, 35 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, completing 68% of his passes. He threw for over 4,000 passing yards. That was his sophomore year. He got better in his junior year. He had 41 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, completing 67 of his passes he had over 4,500 passing yards and he played great in his junior year he was a great player at the collegiate level he was a winner and he had the intangibles of a franchise caliber quarterback that you can win multiple Super Bowls with at the NFL level so he gets to the NFL level and his head coach is Bill O'Brien make no mistake about it Bill O'Brien He's not Bill Belichick. He's not Sean Payton. Hell, he's not even Matt LaFleur. Bill O'Brien is a below average head coach. That's the reason why he doesn't even have a job as we speak. But in four years, as a starting quarterback for the Houston Texans, Deshaun Watson, he led the Houston Texans to the postseason two out of those four years. They went to the playoffs in 2018. They went to the playoffs in 2019. And last year, he had no supporting cast whatsoever. And Deshaun Watson had 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions, threw for close to 5,000 passing yards, completing 70% of his passes. He was amazing last year, and he didn't have anybody to throw the ball to. Now, the first few years of his career, he had an elite receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. But for whatever reason, Bill O'Brien decided to trade DeAndre Hopkins, although DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson had a great relationship on and off the field. So playing in this organization with the Houston Texans, that's a terrible organization. Deshaun Watson has done nothing but thrive at an elite level and position himself to be one of the best young quarterbacks we have in the NFL. And out of all the young quarterbacks in the NFL, you name them, Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Tua Tagovailoa, you name them, Deshaun Watson is the best of the best when it comes to young NFL quarterbacks. So if you're the Miami Dolphins and you are head coach Brian Flores, if you're general manager, Steve Greer, or the owner, Mr. Ross, you need to trade 
for Deshaun Watson quick, fast, and in a hurry if you want to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender in the AFC. Now, I know Dolphins fans are going to ask you, they're going to say, what about Tua? Because Tua, you know, he had a pretty good year last year. He did. Tua last year, 11 touchdowns, five interceptions. He went six and three as a starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. He threw for over 1,800 passing yards. But last year, Brian Flores had to sub Tua out in late-game situations for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Fitzpatrick has been a journeyman throughout the entire course of his career. He's never been a consistent franchise quarterback that you can build your team around. He's been very inconsistent. And that's why he hasn't had a starting job in the NFL for one particular team for multiple seasons. And that's the guy that Brian Flores subbed out for Tua in late game situations last year. It tells you everything you need to know about Tua. Tua, at his best, can be good, but he'll never be great. Deshaun Watson is great. And I've been on record saying that if Deshaun Watson was in the same situation as Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson would have similar accomplishments as Patrick Mahomes. He's that great. So if you're the Miami Dolphins, you need to make that trade, and you need to trade for Deshaun Watson, he is big time. He is the real deal. Let's transition to some NBA. Let's talk about Carmelo Anthony. As Carmelo Anthony, he was on the All the Smoke podcast. He was on the show with Steven Jackson, Matt Barnes, and they were asking Melo about, you know, his career and, you know, things that happened in his career. And so, y'all know by now, the Detroit Pistons, they were supposed to draft Melo out of Syracuse. Melo won a championship at University of Syracuse in his freshman season, and they were supposed to draft Carmelo Anthony. At the time, general manager was Joe Dumars. Larry Brown was the head coach of the Detroit Pistons. So, Melo, this is him on the All The Smoke podcast. He said, quote, I think if I was there, they'd win another title. I think we go back to back if I'm there. That's Carmelo Anthony on the All the Smoke podcast. Because y'all know in 03, the Detroit Pistons, they beat Shaq and Kobe and the Lakers in the NBA championship the year before the Malice at the Palace. And then the following year, they lost in the NBA finals to the San Antonio Spurs and Tim Duncan. So the question is, would we view Carmelo Anthony different had he been drafted by the Pistons. And for me, the question is honestly something that I already came to terms with. It's not something that's up for debate for me. Without a doubt, folks would view Melo differently. I wouldn't view Melo differently because I already know how great Melo is. Carmelo Anthony, for his career, he's averaged 23 points per game on 45% shooting from the floor. He's one of the greatest scorers in NBA history. He's one of the greatest scorers in modern-day NBA history. Okay? And outside of Kevin Durant, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, we've never seen a player score at the elite level like Carmelo Anthony has in his career. He has no weaknesses as a scorer. 
He can blow right by you in his, this is in his prime, okay? I'm talking about Melo in his prime. He can blow right by you, get to the rim and finish at the rim because in his Denver days, he was still athletic. He still had some athleticism, you know, on his on those legs. And even in the early stages of his career in New York, Melo still was a decent athlete. He was never a great athlete like LeBron, like Giannis. That was or Michael Jordan or Kobe. That was never Melo. But Melo was strong as a bull. Ask Kobe Bryant, RIP to the Black Mamba. But Kobe always talked about how Melo was one of the hardest players for him to guard. Melo has no weaknesses offensively in his game. He can get to the rim. He can hit free throws at an elite level, okay? He can also hit the mid-range shot, similar to the likes of Michael Jordan, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant. He's a great mid-range shooter. He can also hit the perimeter shot, not as great as Kevin Durant, but he can hit the perimeter shot decent. When you put a smaller guard or a smaller forward on Melo, he'll bully them in the paint. Just like Kobe talked about how he struggled guarding Melo in the 2009 Western Conference Finals. But if you put someone that's bigger and they're slow, Melo can go right past him. He is a great scorer. But if Carmelo Anthony would have been drafted by the Detroit Pistons, make no mistake about it, the Detroit Pistons would have won back-to-back NBA championships and Melo would have at least two NBA championships on his resume. At least two. Because as great as the Detroit Pistons were as a unit, and they were a great team, Chauncey Billups at the one, Richard Hamilton at the two, Tayshaun Prince at the three, both the Wallaces at the four and five positions, as great as they were as a unit, none of them had the talent or the skill set offensively that Carmelo Anthony had. None of them. And I love that Detroit Pistons team. They're one of the greatest defensive teams in NBA history. And so Melo, in the early part of his career, while he was in Denver, this was why George Carl had an issue with Melo. Because he wanted Melo to not only focus on being a scorer, but also commit to being a great defender as well. So if Melo would have been drafted by the Detroit Pistons, planning that organization with Joe Dumars as the general manager, with Larry Bird as the head coach, they would have taught Melo about how defense wins championships. So Melo would have been a better defender earlier in his career in the early stages. He would have taken defense more serious. But offensively, he was exactly what the Detroit Pistons needed. He was exactly what they needed. As great as they were, they were a team that scored points, you know, as a team. They they didn't have no true number one go-to option on that Detroit Pistons team. It was whoever had the hot hand that particular night. You team mellow up. With these brothers, Melo would have been that go-to scorer in late-game situations for the Detroit Pistons. So I, I definitely believe that we would have we would view Melo differently had he been drafted by the Detroit Pistons. But myself, being a Melo fan, I already know how big-time Carmelo Anthony is. So 
one thing I want to talk about too, when it comes to Melo, there are people that have questions about whether or not Melo is a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's funny to me because the only thing that you can say about Melo is Melo doesn't have a championship. And I do believe that Melo is partially to blame because he doesn't have a championship. Melo wanted to make his money. Melo was from the rough streets of Baltimore. So Melo was about his money. So those of you that don't know, when the big three came about, it was supposed to be LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Melo. It was never supposed to be Chris Bosh. If Melo would have, this is the second decision or thing that happened that cost Melo a championship. If Melo wouldn't have signed for that fifth year in Denver, Melo would have been a part of the big three in Miami with D-Wade and LeBron. And playing with Pat Riley and their exposure, Melo would have won multiple championships with the Miami Heat. As great as Chris Bosh was, Chris Bosh was never on the level of Carmelo Anthony, ever. And I love Chris Bosh, two-time NBA champion. Without Chris Bosh, the Miami Heat in the big three era, they don't win those championships. But he would have not had the impact on the Miami Heat that Melo would have had. With Melo, it's a possibility Miami would have won three out of four years instead of two out of four years. So there are players that got championships that aren't as good as Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh being one of them. Kevin Love has never been as good as Carmelo Anthony is either. And y'all know he won a championship in 2016 with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So when we talk about players going into the Hall of Fame, don't just bring up championships because it's more to it than that. And I'm excited for Melo because this year he's going to get an opportunity to win his first NBA championship now that he's teamed up with LeBron James and Anthony Davis in L.A. Let's transition back to some NFL. And let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers and the AFC North. So Ben Roethlisberger, he was talking um, to he was talking to the Washington Post, and he was talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers and talking about father time, you know, catching up to him as a player. This is Big Ben. He says, "Quote for the last four or five years." I've really focused on having a trainer. He says, part of his football, but part of his life. I'm not getting any younger. I'm almost 40 years old. So you've got to take care of yourself. And nothing against Tom Brady, but I'm not eating avocado ice cream. That was Ben Roethlisberger on Father Time Catching Up. And so he was talking to the Washington Post. And y'all know in previous years in his career, Ben Roethlisberger hasn't been one of those players who's been in the best of shape. He's not one of those players that take care of his body particularly well, like a Tom Brady or like a Peyton Manning did or Drew Brees did in their career. And so we look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? These are their postseason chances. This is according to ESPN's index. They got a 33% chance to make the playoffs, 12% chance 
to win the AFC North. Those are the percentages for the Pittsburgh Steelers postseason chances. So the question here is, are we sleeping on the Steelers? First and foremost, I want to say Mike Tomlin is a phenomenal head coach. In 14 seasons, Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. The man's coaching record is 145-78-1. He's won 65% of his games. He's the youngest head coach in NFL history to win a Super Bowl. When you talk about the best coaches in the NFL, Bill Belichick, Sean Payton, Pete Carroll, Mike Tomlin deserves to be in that conversation with the best coaches in the NFL. And I hate the fact that in previous years in Pittsburgh, whenever you see the Steelers struggle for a few games, you hear rumblings of the possibility of replacing Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin has done a hell of a job as a head coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And when you talk about these best coaches in the NFL, his name deserves to be in that conversation. Mike Tomlin didn't have the luxury of coaching an all-time great like Tom Brady. He didn't have the luxury of coaching an all-time great like Drew Brees. Ben Roethlisberger is an all-time great. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame. He'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion. But Big Ben Roethlisberger is nowhere on the same level as Tom Brady or Drew Brees. So I think it's a major accomplishment that Mike Tomlin hasn't never had a losing season at any point in his coaching career. And I got a lot of respect for Mike Tomlin. But with all that being said, when you ask the question, are we sleeping on the Pittsburgh Steelers? Not only am I sleeping on the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm snoring on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know they got a great defense with T.J. Watt, Cameron Hayward, Stephon Tewitt up front. In the back end, in the secondary, you got Mika Fitzpatrick, okay? I know they have an elite defense. And I like that they drafted Najee Harris out of Alabama. I like the fact that they drafted Najee Harris because they've been needing a running back the last few years. I like the weapons that they have in Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster, although Juju Smith-Schuster, you need to stay on TikTok and you need to start performing on the field. You'll be on TikTok too much for my liking, and I know you're on TikTok too much for Steelers fans' liking as well. You need to be on that field performing at a high level. But I like their weapons. But when I look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, there's three reasons why I'm snoring on the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I don't believe that they are a playoff team. Number one, I don't trust Big Ben. I don't trust him. This is 2020. Stats for Ben Roethlisberger. Passing yards. He had 3,803 passing yards. That was ranked 16th in the NFL. He completed 66% of his passes. That was ranked 20th in the NFL. His total QBR was 60.1. That was ranked 22nd in the NFL. And yards per pass attempt 
was 6.25. That was ranked 31st in the NFL last season for Ben Roethlisberger. So I don't trust Ben Roethlisberger as being a quarterback you can win a Super Bowl with at this point in his career. I don't. Three or four years ago, I still would have trusted Roethlisberger as a quarterback that you could win a Super Bowl with. The years when they had Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, I still felt like Ben Roethlisberger was an elite quarterback. But Ben has gotten up in age. And unlike Tom Brady, Roethlisberger, he's not going to be playing football when he's 43, 44, 45 years of age. Because number one, he doesn't take care of his body very well. And number two, because of his physical, you know, stature, Big Ben has taken a lot of hits. Tom Brady has been protected by good offensive lines, and he hasn't taken as many hits like Roethlisberger has. I think Tom Brady had one season where he missed the entire season because he tore his ACL. But besides that, that was the only year where Tom Brady was out for the entire season. We've seen Roethlisberger multiple years deal with various injuries. Even Drew Brees was more healthier than Roethlisberger. So I don't think Big Ben's one of those quarterbacks that's going to play in his to his mid-40s. And I think he's on the downside of his career. And I think this probably is his last year. So I don't trust Big Ben. Number two, I don't trust the Steelers' offensive line. They had some changes up front in the offseason. And in order to be able to win a Super Bowl, you have to protect your quarterback. Ask the Kansas City Chiefs about what happened to them last year in a Super Bowl going up against an elite pass rush in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You have to protect your quarterback, and you have to be able to run the football. That's been a problem with the Steelers the last few years. They haven't been able to run the football, and they've put a lot of pressure on Ben Roethlisberger. That's why he's been turning the ball over so much the last few years, because all of the responsibility of the offense has been on the shoulders of Ben Roethlisberger. And at this point in his career, he can't carry the Steelers' offense like he could have in previous years. And you combine that with this offensive line not being very good, I think that's an issue for Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers. The third reason why I'm storing on the Pittsburgh Steelers is simple, competition. I think they're the third best team in the AFC North. I think the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson, John Harbaugh as head coach are better than the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think the Cleveland Browns, they proved that they are better than the Pittsburgh Steelers. They beat the Steelers last year to get in the playoffs. They beat the Steelers in the wild card round of the playoffs last year as well. They proved that they are a better team from top to bottom than the Pittsburgh Steelers are. So just competition alone is a reason why I'm snoring on the Steelers. So those are my three reasons why I don't believe the Steelers will make the playoffs. I don't trust Big Ben as a quarterback that you can win a Super Bowl with at this point of his career. I don't trust their offensive line. And I think the competition is too stiff for the Pittsburgh Steelers 
to make the playoffs. So when you ask the question, will the Steelers make the playoffs? I say no. And I think this is going to be Ben Roethlisberger's last season with the Pittsburgh Steelers and in the NFL. Let's transition back to some NBA. This was a list that came out a few months ago. It talked about the top 10 NBA players of the 2000s. Best of the best. Coming in number 10, Tracy McGrady. Number nine, Dirk Nowinski. Number eight, Steve Nash. Number seven, Dwayne Wade. Number six, Allen Iverson. Number five, Kevin Garnett. Number four, LeBron James. Number three, Shaq. Two, Tim Duncan. One, the late, great Kobe Bryant. So what are your thoughts about this list? The first thing that comes to mind for me is LeBron James, at the time, I would have said he was the fourth best player in the 2000s. LeBron James has elevated himself to be a number two on my list of top 10 players of the 2000s. I'm going to rank LeBron James over Shaq and Tim Duncan. And I know Tim Duncan is a five-time champion. And I know Tim Duncan is a great player. He's the greatest power forward in NBA history. But LeBron James has accomplished more than Tim Duncan. And when I'm rating all-time great players, I'm ranking LeBron over Tim Duncan. I'm also going to rank him over Shaq. Now, I know everyone's going to be like, wow, Shaq is dominant. Yeah, Shaq's dominant. He's outstanding. Shaq is a three-time NBA Finals MVP, four-time NBA champion. And I know he won NBA MVP in his career, maybe two. I know he got one. LeBron James has had a better career than Shaq. Now, they play different positions, of course, but we just having fun with this. It's just a list. I got LeBron at number two. So right now, my number one is Kobe Steele, and my number two is LeBron. Mind you, this is of the 2000s. So also, they got Tracy McGrady at number 10. And I know everybody's going to say, like, what do you mean? Like, why would you pick Melo over T-Mac? Because I know I talked about Melo a little bit earlier on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Tracy McGrady has never been out of the first round of the NBA playoffs. Not one time. Melo has had his struggles in the playoffs as well. But Melo at least got the Denver Nuggets to a Western Conference Finals appearance against Kobe and the Lakers in 20, 2009. I'm picking Melo over T-Mac because also durability has to matter in these conversations. Tracy McGrady, as great as he was in his prime, Tracy McGrady couldn't stay healthy. He couldn't stay healthy. And I know T-Mac was great. Because at one point, I thought if you switch Kobe and T-Mac, Kobe could have just as much success with the Lakers with Shaq as Kobe can. I thought that. I said, if you switch T-Mac with Kobe, T-Mac can have just as much success with the Lakers as Kobe has had with them. I got a lot of respect for Tracy McGrady. But because of his injuries in history, I can't pick him over Melo. So I got Melo at number 10. Also, I love Allen Iris. We know Allen Iverson led the Philadelphia 76ers to the NBA Finals with a horrible supporting cast. He had one of the worst teams from top to bottom in NBA history that got to the NBA Finals. 
the reason why they got there was because of Allen Iverson. And he won NBA MVP in 2000. And he was the best player in the NBA that season. He ran into the best team in Kobe and Shaq's Lakers. That year, I don't even think the Lakers lost in the playoffs. I think they lost the one game that they lost in the playoffs that year was to Allen Iverson in game one of the NBA Finals. We know Allen Iverson changed the culture of the NBA. And I brought that hip-hop swag to the NBA, wearing big jerseys and wearing hats to press conferences and baggy clothing. That's what AI brought to the NBA. He changed the culture of the NBA and him being six feet soaking wet. Allen Iverson being one of the best players in the NBA at his prime, he played at a high level. He was a great player. But Allen Iverson was never as good as Dwayne Wade. And Dwayne Wade is the third greatest shooting guard of all time behind MJ and Kobe. Everybody loved AI. So everybody wants to say that AI had a better career than Dwayne Wade. But he didn't have a better career than Dwayne Wade. Wade was a three-time NBA champion. Okay, got a finals MVP in 06 with Shaq on the Miami Heat. That... Miami Heat team, they weren't no super team. Shaq was out of his prime by the time he got to Miami. And Dwayne Wade carried Pat Riley in their exposure to a championship over Dirk Nowitzki and the Dallas Mavericks. And in those years, even when LeBron came to South Beach, LeBron was the best player on those Miami Heat teams. But Dwayne Wade was the closer. And in his first year, with the big three in Miami, Dwayne Wade averaged 25 points per game. He was still playing at an elite level. Now, each year that went along, Dwayne Wade's, you know, statistically his numbers went down as each year went along. But Dwayne Wade is an all-time great, and he's one of the best closers we have in NBA history. When you talk about great closers in NBA history, I think about Kobe Bryant. I think about Michael Jordan. I think about Kevin Durant as being a great closer. Dwayne Wade is in that conversation. He's in that conversation. So I think Dwayne Wade should be ranked above Allen Iverson. And I think Kevin Garnett and Dwayne Wade, they're close. They're close for me. They're, they're, they're close. Both play two different positions, obviously, but they are definitely close. And then, you know, so that's my takeaway from the list. I mean, give me your thoughts. Top 10 players of the 2000s. Those are my biggest things. I, those are my, my things I would change. I would put Melo, Melo in over Tracy McGrady at number 10. I would rank D-Wade over Allen Iverson. And I would move LeBron ahead of Tim Duncan and Shaq and put LeBron at number two behind Kobe. So that's my, that's my changes I would make on the top 10 players of the 2000s. Also, one more for y'all, one more. Just looking at this list. I'm not sure I would take Steve Nash over Dirk Nowitzki. I think I'm taking Dirk over Steve Nash. I know Steve Nash won a few MVPs, although they robbed, I think, Kobe in one of those years. But Dirk Nowitzki, I'm taking him over Steve Nash. So I probably would take Dirk also over Nash. But that's something y'all can have fun with. Best of the best in the NBA in the 2000s. So – 
let's transition and let's talk about the AFC West. And, you know, last year in the AFC West, the Kansas City Chiefs, they finished 14 and two. The Raiders, they finished eight and eight. The Chargers, they finished seven and nine. And the Broncos finished five and 11. So in this division, let's talk about the teams in this division. You got Broncos head coach, Vic Fangio. So far in his career as being the head coach of the Denver Broncos, Fangio, he has a record, 12 and 20. He's won 37% of his games. He recently named Teddy Bridgewater his starting quarterback. You know, Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, they were in a quarterback competition earlier this offseason. And so last year with the Carolina Panthers, Teddy Bridgewater, he was decent for the Carolina Panthers. Teddy Bridgewater last year, 15 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, threw for over 3,700 passing yards. He was okay last year, not great. Fangio Nanhum is starting quarterback. And when I look at the Denver Broncos, right, I think the Denver Broncos have a chance to have one of the best defenses in the NFL. I really like their defense. When you look at up front, they got Mike Purcell, Draymond Jones, you know, like they're solid up front, but they also have players that can rush the passer. In Bradley Chubb, you know, you still got Von Miller. And then on the back end in the secondary, they brought in Cal Fuller. Okay. They got Kareem Jackson at safety, Ronald Darby also as one of the other cornerbacks. I really, really like the Denver Broncos secondary, and I like their defense overall. I think they can be a top 10 defense in the NFL this year. I really, really do. And then when you look at them offensively, you got Melvin Gordon at the running back position. At receiver, you got Jerry Judy. But I was disappointed in Jerry Judy. I wasn't really impressed with Jerry Judy in his rookie season. Jerry Judy last year in his rookie season, he had 52 receptions, 856 receiving yards, just three touchdowns. I wasn't really impressed with Jerry Judy. So I'm expecting Jerry Judy to have a better sophomore season and not have a sophomore slump. You got also at the receiver position, KJ Candler, and then at tight end, you got Noah Fant. Noah Fant made some plays last year in the passing game for the Denver Broncos. Still got Cortland Sutton. He can make plays for you at the receiver position as well. But when I look at the Denver Broncos, my biggest issue is quarterback. I don't think they're going to get enough consistent quality quarterback play to be a playoff team. I think they have a defense that can make the playoffs and can, they have a championship kind of defense. They really, really do. But I don't think they're going to get enough consistent quality play at the quarterback position. I don't trust Drew Locke and he's the backup quarterback this year for Denver. I didn't trust him last year when he started all those games last year for the Broncos. I really didn't. So you could tell, well, last year, just let's look at Drew Locke last year. In 13 games last year, Drew Locke, he had over 3,900 passing yards, completing 59% of his passes, 16 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. And if I'm not mistaken, last year, Carson Wentz, he had 16 touchdowns and 15 interceptions, and he got killed in the media and killed because he was the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. But Drew Locke, he didn't play much better last year. And that's why you see Fangio and the Broncos, they had a quarterback competition this offseason because they don't believe in Drew Locke 
either. I'm not sure Drew Locke is a quarterback that you can build your franchise around. That's why they made the decision to roll with Teddy Bridgewater. Now, Teddy Bridgewater is a quarterback that can get you to the playoffs, but he's not a quarterback that you can win a Super Bowl with. He's a quarterback that you can win with. You can't win because of Teddy Bridgewater. You win because you have him on your team. And he's a game manager, okay? He's not elite. He's one of those quarterbacks that you compared to, you know, like a Ryan, like Ryan Tannehill. You know, Ryan Tannehill got some weapons in Tennessee. He has some weapons, but I never thought Ryan Tannehill was elite. I never thought Ryan Tannehill was good because quarterbacks that I think is good are like Matt Ryan. Phillip Rivers was good. He had moments where he was great sometimes, but he was good. Those are quarterbacks that I think are good. Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan. I never felt like Ryan Tannehill was good. I always thought he was average. That's how I feel about Teddy Bridgewater. He's average. He's a game manager. You're not going to win a Super Bowl with Teddy Bridgewater. That's why I don't believe in the Denver Broncos as a team that will make the playoffs. Now, when you look at the Las Vegas Raiders, I like the Raiders team this year because I like Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr, unlike Drew Locke, I think Derek Carr is a young quarterback in the NFL that you can win a Super Bowl with. Derek Carr in his career, so far, he has 170 touchdown passes and 71 interceptions over 26,000 passing yards. So Derek Carr has shown the ability that he can lead your team as a quarterback. I believe if you look at other quarterbacks that have led their team to the playoffs, like Andy Dalton for the Bengals. Yeah, Bengals fans, I'm going to bring y'all up. Andy Dalton led the Bengals to the playoffs multiple years here in Cincinnati. If Andy Dalton can lead the Bengals to the playoffs, I believe Derek Carr can do the same. Although he's only had one winning season in seven years. But he's improved since John Gruden's been in Oakland. Since John Gruden, this is before John Gruden. Before John Gruden got to Oakland, this is Derek Carr. Derek Carr was 28 and 34. Since John Gruden's been in Vegas, without John Gruden, Derek Carr, 28 and 34. With John Gruden, he's 19 and 29. Still not at 500. Still not a winning record, but he's improved. His completion percentage went from 61 to 69. His passing yards per game went from 244 to 254. Not a great improvement, but it's an improvement. His touchdown to interception ratio, 103-44 without Gruden to 67-27 with John Gruden. So he's improved while John Gruden's been in Vegas. When I look at the Vegas team, they have a lot of unproven players who are young, who haven't flourished yet. And they got to get better defensively. Like, I'm not really improved, impressed with their defense. They're the opposite of the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos have an elite defense. I think they'll be a top 10 defense in the NFL. Last year, the Raiders defense was awful. They were awful last year. And they got new defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley. He should help them on the defensive side of the ball. If they can get quality stops at important times in football games, I think they have a chance to compete for a playoff spot. So the defense is the question for me. Because I like, I like their offense. I really, really do. Like, even though offense on the offensive line, they had some question marks this offseason. They traded Rodney Harris Hudson. They traded Gabe Jackson. They traded Trent Brown. They wanted to get younger. They wanted to get faster. And they wanted more depth. But they gave up top-quality linemen, but they got younger. So we'll see if that can pan out well for the 
Las Vegas Raiders. Offensively, I like Henry Ruggs at the receiving position. Last year, he wasn't great, but I like Henry Ruggs. I like his promise as a receiver. Last year, he was drafted 12th overall out of Alabama. He had 26 receptions, only 452 receiving yards, only two touchdowns. So similar to the Denver Broncos and Jerry Judy, the Raiders want to see what they can get in the sophomore out of what they can get in the sophomore season of Henry Ruggs. Let's see if he can have a better season this year. But I got questions about the Raiders defense overall. And then John Gruden, I still got my questions about him even as a head coach. In three years as being a head coach of this team, he hasn't made the playoffs yet. He hasn't made the playoffs. And so when people be asking the question about, is he the man for the job? I mean, the man got a 10-year, $100 million new contract. You better damn well be the right man for the job when you make that kind of investment in your head coach. You got to damn near win, win at least two Super Bowls. He got a whole life to be able to live up to this contract. They gave this man 10 years, 10 years. So he's the face of the franchise. Everything starts and ends with John Gruden. He's running the show. I expect John Gruden to get the job done for the Oakland Raiders. Now we look at the LA Chargers. They finished seven and nine last year, but they got a new head coach this season. And so people are asking about their new head coach, Brandon Staley. Can he lead the LA Chargers to the postseason? Because they got a nice quarterback in Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert, last year, his rookie year, great rookie season. 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, threw for over 4,000 passing yards. He was great last year. I was very impressed with Justin Herbert because I was well, coming into the out of the draft last year. I said Tua and Joe Burrow would both have a better career than Justin Herbert. He proved me wrong last year. I have to admit that he proved me wrong. But when I look at the LA Chargers as a team, offensively, they have a lot of weapons for Herbert. You still got Keenan Allen at the receiver position, one of the best receivers in the NFL. Still got Mike Williams, you know, on the other end at the receiver position. You got Austin Eckelar at running back, you know, who can, you can hand the ball out to. He's a decent running back in the NFL. But I like them bringing in Cook at the tight end position. He's a solid tight end. They have a lot of weapons offensively for Herbert to throw the ball to. And they also brought in one of the best centers in the NFL and Corey Lindsay. He was a Packer last year, and he played with Aaron Rodgers. He's a great center. So I like the moves that they made in free agency. Chargers are going to be a possible playoff team. Uh, we're going to talk about my playoff predictions here in a few weeks. But they'll be a possible playoff team. But I like the supporting cast that they put around Justin Herbert. And defensively, you bring him back Derwin James. Y'all know Derwin James for the last few years, he hasn't been healthy. He hasn't been able to stay on the field. If he can stay on the field this year, He's a nice safety in the back end. And you know, you got Joey Bosa rushing the passer up front. And that linebacker, you got Kenneth Murray leading the linebacker position. So I like the LA Chargers. They'll be a possible playoff team. But make no mistake about it. In the AFC West, it all starts and ends with the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, like, it really ain't no suspense here. We know they're going to win the division. They've been to back to back to back AFC Championship games. They went to the Super Bowl two out of the last three years. 
They lost two Super Bowls. I'm sorry. They've been in the Super Bowl in three of the last three years. They lost to Tom Brady and the Patriots. And in the second year, they beat the 49ers. And then last year, they lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I'm sorry. They've been to the Super Bowl twice in the last three years. But I like the moves the Chiefs made this offseason. When you watched the Super Bowl last year, it was quite obvious that they had issues at offensive line. Patrick Mahomes was running for his life in the offseason. They traded for Orlando Brown Jr., and they got him from the Baltimore Ravens. So that's a great pickup. They brought in Joe Tooney at the left guard position. Austin Blythe also on the offensive line. And they still got Creed Humphrey. I like them boosting up that offensive line. If they can protect Patrick Mahomes, y'all know Patrick Mahomes has a ton of weapons to throw the ball to. Still got Tyreek Hill, one of the top receivers in the NFL. Still got Travis Kelsey, arguably the best tight end in the NFL. So if they can protect Patrick Mahomes, we know the Chiefs will once again be at the top of the AFC, without a doubt. Now, I do got questions about the Chiefs defense. I like Chris Jones up front. We know Chris Jones is one of the best defensive tackles we have in the NFL. You still got Tyron Matthew on the back end. But I don't trust the Chiefs defense. Mediocre at best. Maybe this year they could take a step in the right direction and be a top 10 defense in the NFL. Maybe. But you know when you got Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and you got also, I forgot about Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, if he's healthy this year, he's a nice running back in the backfield that you could hand the ball off to. That way, all the pressure isn't on Patrick Mahomes to win games for you. If this team can develop a consistent running game with Clyde Edwards Hilaire and they can run the football, they become an even more dynamic offense and it's going to be even harder to stop them. So, we all know it all starts and ends with their offense and Andy Reid calling the plays. So we know the Kansas City Chiefs will win the AFC West. So that's how I got it in the AFC West. I got Chiefs winning the division. I got Chargers in second place in the division. Third or fourth place, it's, it's just a toss-up for me between the Broncos and the Raiders. But I'm going to roll with the Raiders to finish third in, in the AFC West this year. And I got the Broncos finishing fourth. Here's the records. Broncos 6-11, Raiders 7-10, Chargers 10-7. Chiefs 14 and three. So everybody remember going follow the wise guys on Twitter at wise guys underscore weights. Also on Facebook, wise guys. And be sure to follow the wise guys on Instagram at these guys know sports. Outstanding show tonight on the Worldwide Sports Network. I'm wise guys. Trey Larkins on the call tonight. I'll be back on Wednesday night, 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Network as well. Y'all have a great night. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.